grateful to be able to gather here today. So welcome to Broadway Baptist Church. Uh, and if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading from Psalm 142. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Amen. Amen. Again, welcome to Broadway Baptist Church. Uh, if you are a guest with us this morning, we're especially glad that you've come to worship with us. Uh, in the bulletin, hopefully you got one as you walked in, either of these doors or, or the main entrance there. Uh, there's a tear-off tab in there. You can let us know uh, that you've come to visit us this morning. We just want to tell you that we are glad that you came to worship with us this morning. And uh, for all the members here, if you're looking for a way to serve or plug in, uh, or if you need prayer uh, for us as a staff and as a church to pray for you, for you, let us know by way of that card. So welcome this morning. I'm going to hand it over to Gene uh, as we continue with the service. All right. Thank you, Zach. Well, I'm glad you're all already standing. Do you know what today is? Gail, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. This is a day, this is a day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made.
Holy Father, as we bow before you this morning, we acknowledge you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're all righteous and holy. Your, uh, your, your spirit flows about us day by day within our hearts and within our souls, and we give you praise and glory for it all. Thank you that on this day, a special day that we can gather and worship you and praise you. We thank you as we come. We will have that spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving within our heart and soul. We want to praise you and thank you for Broadway Church and the privilege that you give us here of worshiping you. We pray, Father, for part of our staff that's away today with that group. We pray, Father, that your shield of protection and safety would be about them or our pastor and his family as they're away. Thank you for our teachers and leaders and workers. Thank you for the deacons and the fellowship that they share here in your ministry and work for our choir. Lord, we just give praise and thanks unto you for this church. Father, there no doubt are special needs this morning. You brought us through some, a little time of challenge in the last few days. But thank you for your protection. Thank you that so far as we know, no one in our city was killed. And we give you the praise and the glory for that. Father, may we worship you in spirit and in truth this day. Pray especially for Brother Zach as he brings the word of life unto us this morning. Hide him behind the cross and anoint him of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
Good morning. I'll be singing, that's why I love him so. The pathway of sin, so long I had trod, till Jesus came from above. He spoke peace to me, O oh, glory to God, what mercy, what wondrous love. O oh, glory to God, He's holding my hand, He safely will guide my soul. I know He lifted me up and caused me to stand. Oh, that's why I love him so. Though friends in this world may turn me away, yet Christ will my prayers attend. I'm glad in my heart that now I can say that Jesus is my best friend. Oh, glory to God. He's holding my hand. He safely will guide my soul. I know he lifted me up and caused me to stand. Oh, that's why I love him so. I'm happy today while going along. The Savior is kind and true. He lifted me up and gave me this song. I'll sing it the whole day through. Oh, glory to God, he's holding my hand. And this ends love. He lifted me up and caused me to stand. Oh, that's why I love him so. Thank you, Herman. If you would open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Uh, as you turn there, I, I would just like to uh, thank everyone at the church uh, who are here and some who are away this weekend, uh, but just for all your generosity and kindness towards Beth and I and our, our baby boy Isaiah, who is hopefully uh, will be here uh, next week. Uh, if he is here next week, he probably won't be in this building next week, uh, <laughs> but uh, at home. So we're so excited. We're so thankful for uh, just all your kindness towards uh, my family since the moment we arrived about a year ago. So I'm just so grateful and so thankful uh, for that. And today, as we look at this passage, uh, it's a subject that I've been thinking about quite a bit recently on the topic of persevering and persevering in the faith and uh, what that looks like in the Christian life. Uh, because as we all know, there's a lot of things that happen in life. Life is good. 
Life is so good. We have so many blessings from God, uh, so many great moments that we, that we treasure and cherish. And life is unpredictable. We don't know when those good moments can turn bad, uh, when we're in sorrow and that is turned into joy in a moment. Uh, life is so unpredictable. We do not know what each day brings or what each day holds. Uh, and we also know that life is difficult. Life is difficult. If there's one certainty in life, it is that life will have its trials and life will have its challenges. Uh, life is difficult. And so it's important that as we think about these things, uh, how important it is to persevere in life and to persevere in our Christian walk with the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, we're, we are going to read this. We're going to see what God's word says about persevering and how we persevere uh, in the Lord. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So about a month ago, a little over a month ago, Beth, she came home from work and she was saying, my car is making all kinds of funny noises, and you know that was nothing new. It had been making some funny noises, but it kind of gotten worse and worse and worse. So I'm like, okay. You know, I'll, I'll see what the problem is. I'm going to take it for a, a test drive. She, I don't drive her car all that often, so I'm going to take it for a test drive. I'll push its limits a little bit, and, and maybe I can see or hear something and see what happens. So I take it out down the road, just maybe a mile, and I, you know, I'm, giving it, I'm giving it some gas. I'm hitting the brakes hard while I pull out of a parking lot, and I gun it just to really you know, see what's going on. Well, I gun it, and I get to the stoplight, and next thing I know, the lights are dim, uh, the battery light is on, <laughs> and my power steering has gone out. Like, and thankfully, I'm only about a mile from the house, so uh, I, I press on, I get to my home, it's like impossible to steer the wheel. Uh, but I get home, I pull it in the driveway, I get out of the car, and I also notice there is a trail of water and coolant that's just been following the car that entire time, it's just leaking water like crazy. And I'm like, I walk in the door, <laughs> like, well, yeah, your car's broken. <laughs> uh, there's a problem, and I don't know what it is. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to fix this thing. I'm a man, and I want to save some money, and I'm going to fix this myself. Uh, that led to about a four-day journey. Uh, that was not easy. Uh, it took a lot of time. And I was like, okay, here's what I know. The belt is broken. I open the hood, belt's gone. It's like just, you know, it, it's, it's gone. Uh, I look around and, you know, I see something else broken, but where, what's causing the water leaking? Oh, it's got to be the water pump. I broke the water pump. Well, I get the parts. I get all the parts I need and replace the water pump. And, okay, did that. Well, the other thing, there was one part that I, it took three days for me to get this part off. I could not get it removed at all. I had read everything on Google. I had watched every YouTube video. I got the special tool I needed. 
And it reached a point that I just could not get this part removed. And I was ready to give up. I was just ready to call it quits. Like, I'm just going to call a mechanic. We'll, I'll get my car towed over there and let him do it. And, but something inside of me was just, just my pride, I guess. was like, I'm doing this myself. Uh, probably just I wanted to save money more than anything. But I was like, I'm going to do this myself. Well, I used that special tool that I had to get to remove this part. And the whole time, I'd just been using it wrong. <laughs> And once I, it kind of had like a eureka moment, like, oh, that's how I use that tool. That's what I'm supposed to do, which none of the, nothing I read, nothing I watched really explained how to properly use that tool. And I had the moment, and sure enough, after three days of trying to get this part removed, I was like, I was, I had gone to lengths of hitting it with a hammer. I mean, I was just going to extreme measures. And then when it dawned on me, I get the tool, I put it on there, and I begin to twist and in about 10 minutes, it just smoothly comes right off. And I was like, Beth, I've got it. Yeah, like, I've got it. Uh, and then I put it on. I get the water pump on. I get that part on. I fill the car up with coolant and start the car. Coolant keeps leaking. <laughs> and, and I call my dad. He knows all about this stuff. And he, we talk some more. And uh, I was like, one more part. There's just one more part. If it, that's not it, I got to take it to the mechanic. Well, I get the one other part, and I had fixed it. I mean, I got to the point where I fixed it, but I was just so ready to give up. I was ready to throw in the towel, and this is a silly example, but uh, I was ready to quit. But I persevered. I, I kept pushing. I kept pressing on, even when so much inside of me just wanted to give up. Uh, I felt like I was wasting time, like maybe I was going to make the car worse. Uh, but I was ready to give up. And it is tough to press on. Uh, with anything in life, we find that it's tough to press on and to persevere. And giving up is always a temptation. It can always be a temptation to give up. And it's often easier to give up in a lot of things. There's only one thing that I can think of that I had committed to doing that I quit. That was in my after eighth grade of middle school. Going into high school, we had spring practice. So it wasn't quite in, in high school yet, but... Uh, we had football practice, and I'm an eighth grader, a little late bloomer, and I got beat up by like all-star, you know, all-state linemen, and I quit. Like I just like didn't return the next day. That was the only thing I ever quit. I quit that day. Uh, and, and looking back, you know, I don't have major regrets, but there are times like, man, what if I would have played? Uh, what about all the fun I would have had? Because I love football. But giving up, it always comes with a cost. And it can feel good in the moment. It can feel right in the moment. But giving up, not persevering, it does have a cost. When we give up, we have regret. And we wonder what could have been. When we give up, we end up paying a much higher price in the end. Like me fixing my car, if I had given up, there's no doubt. Like I probably would have had to spend another... Five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars to get that car fixed. Maybe more, who knows. And when we give up, we let others down. And when we give up, we miss out on something far better. And this principle it applies to really about all aspects of our life. Uh, some goals that go unmet may not be a big deal, though. So when we think about giving up, when we think about different things and situations and scenarios in our life, Sometimes we give up on something and it's not a big deal, like giving up on a do-it-yourself project or trying to fix something. It may not be a big deal in the grand scheme of things. Maybe it costs you a little more to send it to a professional. Uh, but 
ultimately not a huge deal. Life goes on, uh, you forget about it, it becomes a funny story. Maybe there's other things or other resolutions that go unmet that you give up on, and those cause difficulty. Maybe, for example, you give up on your diet. Doctor has given you orders, you've got to follow a diet, you need to lower your cholesterol, and you're going good for a while, then you just say, forget it, I can't keep it up. And down the road, it begins to cause difficulty. But again, still, hey, you only live once, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drink Coke, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have uh, steaks and fried chicken. You know, life goes on, and life will end one day, so I'm going to enjoy it. Okay. But other goals that may go unmet, other resolutions, other things set before us, especially in regards to the life God expects, expects us to live, when we don't follow through on them, when we give up, it can cause great and lasting pain and trouble. Maybe you give up loving your wife or your husband the way you should. Or maybe your kids. Or kids, maybe you have given up loving your parents the way the Lord has commanded you to. And ultimately, maybe some of us give up on loving the Lord and trusting in the Lord. And when we consider that our time on this earth is limited and that we have a soul that's going to last forever, the actions we take today and tomorrow, they're going to last for eternity. So everything we do, all of our actions, they have eternal consequences. And the question is, what should motivate us to live a life that is pleasing to God, and how do we stay the course? In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it shows us how we endure in our walk with Jesus. And so there are three things I want us to see from this passage. Number one is we all have an audience. All of us have an audience. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. It's not that we just have an audience, simply an audience, but we have a big audience, a a great cloud of witnesses. And then we have to think about who is this audience. I I do think it's twofold. It It is the people around us, but in the context of this passage, our audience that that the author of Hebrews shows us, it's people of the faith, saints of the faith who have gone before us, who are watching. And this is only the only passage in the, old, in the Bible that gives this image of, of saints of the Bible, of people who have gone before us, who are watching us. This is really the only example uh, of this in the Bible. But we see in Hebrews chapter 11... Uh, It goes through this whole thing of the heroes of the Old Testament. Many of you may know it as the Hall of Faith, uh, is what many people call Hebrews chapter 11. And it goes through, I'm not going to read it all, uh, but it goes through and he names person after person after person. He says, Abel, all right, by faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah, by faith, Isaac, by faith, Jacob, by faith, Joseph, by faith, Moses, by faith, the Israelites, by faith, the army of Israel. By faith, Rahab the prostitute. By faith, Gideon. By faith, Barak. By faith, Samson. By faith, Jephthah. By faith, David. By faith, Samuel. By faith in all the prophets and all the others. I mean, this is the cloud of witnesses. He, and, and he goes on to say, listen, I can't, I can't even mention everyone. He just kind of lumps them all in together at the end. 
There is a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us who are watching us. They're watching how we live and how we run this race. In Hebrews chapter 11, it also describes what these heroes of the faith accomplished and what they went through. And what we see is twofold, that faithfulness isn't always glamorous. Now, the first couple uh, verses of this, it all looks glamorous. It's a part of, uh, of the Christian life that we hope we experience and that we may expect to experience, but it's not always the case. Uh, but in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33, talks about all these heroes of the faith and, and what they went through. Who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. All right, I mean, this, this is what I'm talking about. This is the life we want. This is... Uh, this is how life should go. As Christians, we are just conquering. We're winning. We win, win, win. Uh, we get sick of winning. Uh, this is, we may just stop there and just read that, and that's what we expect out of the Christian life. It's just going to be all these great victories. But as you continue to read, you read there's much more. And oftentimes, with the heroes of the Old Testament, their great victories were followed by some of the greatest disappointments. It goes on and say that some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So the author of Hebrews says, these people, the heroes of the faith, everyone who's gone before us, those who had victories and those who suffered great trial, who were killed for their faith, who, who suffered, who were stoned, who were sawn in half, who lived poor lives, who were mistreated, afflicted, that the world was not worthy of these people. These are the people who endured and persevered no matter what. And these people, they were not perfect. The Old Testament heroes of the faith, they were not perfect. They aren't the people we trust in and, and, and look to for salvation. They had to run the same race we do in faith. We're not the first ones to be in the race. And we aren't alone in this race. And we have a huge crowd watching us, cheering us on. That's what this passage, that's the, the picture it lends to. The stadium filled with people who have already completed this race. So all these people, they've ran the same race, and now they've filled the stadium, and they're watching us, and they're cheering us on. All right, so I've got a question. Has anyone in, in here ever ran a marathon before? Any marathon runners? I see a hand. I see one hand. All right, who's done? has anyone done a half marathon? 
All right, a couple. My wife's done a few half marathons, I know. All right. Has anyone ever gone gone to a marathon? You didn't run? Has anyone ever... Has anyone, seriously, seriously, who's, who's gone to maybe watch? Who's ever watched a little bit of one on TV? Olympics or something? Okay. All right, good. Good. Whether you're racing a full, a half, or you're there watching, or you're, there, or you're watching on TV, one thing I've noticed is it is the most positive environment you will probably ever witness. Every single person is being cheered on and encouraged. Everyone. There are no haters at a marathon. There are not people booing other marathon runners. You know, it's just not how a marathon works. It's totally different. And 99.9% of stat that I just made up, but this is why I figure, 99.9% of the people running a marathon, their objective isn't to win first place. It's not to have the very best time. The majority of people that run marathons the goal is to finish the race. It maybe beat a personal record, but most people that run, you know, they're not world-class runners that are expecting to go out and win the race. Their goal is just to finish the race. And for the 26 plus miles of the course, each runner is cheered on by family, right? Family come out and they cheer you on. They find different spots along the course to cheer you on. Friends come out and even strangers Strangers come out and they cheer on the people as they run the path. And you hear people all the time, whether you know, it's someone you know that's done a marathon, or you've watched on TV, or just by second hand, you, you hear all the time that people will say what helped them continue on, what helped them press on to finish, was the people cheering them on, saying, you can do this, you got this, keep going, keep going. Yeah, they're tired. <laughs> They're running 26 miles. And Hebrews gives us this picture of an audience cheering us on. Not just all those who have gone before us, but also those of us running this race together. We have to cheer each other on. This is not a motivational speech, okay? This is God's word. We must stand beside each other and cheer each other on as we're on this race together. We need that. We need help from one another. So we have this great audience cheering us on. We are to cheer one another on as we, as we run this race together. But no matter how great the audience may be, no matter how loud they may cheer, we still have to focus on the race. There can be, you know, there are people that are cheered on and cheered on. They have all kinds of support, but they'd still drop out. They drop out of the race. And in our, our Christian walk, it is sin that slows us down. It is sin that will cause us uh, to drop out. Not just slow down, but sin can cause us to drop out and quit the race entirely. Verse 1 2 continues on to say, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. When we lose focus on the race and become distracted, we will be weighed down by sin. If we get distracted on what the goal is, what the purpose is of our Christian walk, sin will begin to weigh us down. It will begin to hold us back. 
All right, so we'll keep running with this, uh, with this illustration of running a race, right? Uh, imagine running this race with an iPhone or an iPad. <laughs> You're running and your phone here, your head's buried in your phone, or maybe you've got an iPad and you're running. And you're not just looking at, I mean, you're like scrolling through Facebook, uh, you know, you're, you're liking things, you're sharing posts, and, and you're running a race. You're running a 26-mile race with an iPhone or an iPad in your hand as you browse Facebook. All right, let's say you're lucky. Let's say you manage to finish. Let's say you make it all the way to the end. Yeah, your time probably wasn't so good, but you made it. You did it. It was a lot longer time than what it should have been. And you're saying, hey, I was distracted. I may have been weighed down and held down a little bit, but I finished the race. And really, finishing the race is the whole point. Well, I would say, you know, this is misguided. This would be a misguided approach. That saying, I'm okay with being weighed down, being held back by sin, so long as I complete the race. Willingly holding on to sin, willingly being slowed down, just so, and, and saying, well, I made it to the end, uh, I, I'm good. That would be very misguided. 2 Timothy 2.5 says, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. All right, so maybe, maybe there was no rule against carrying an iPad, right? But while you were distracted as you ran the race, as your head is buried... You knock down runners along the way. You didn't care who was in the way. You're looking, and you just plow people over. You knock people down, you know, who, have, who get injured, who have to step out of the race. And the point is this, that our sin, us being held down, it affects others. We cannot expect that when we're weighed down by sin, that it will not affect others, that it will not slow others down, that it will not cause harm and cause injury to other people. And also, we do not presume upon God's grace. Clinging to sin, holding on to it, willingly being slowed down, and just expecting that God's grace uh, is, is, is presumable. That we can do whatever, and God's still going to forgive us because he's God. He's got to forgive us. That is not how the life of a believer works. And Romans chapter 6, 12-18 tells us this. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. He goes on. What then? Are we to sin... Because we are not under law, but under grace. By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one of whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. So we do not presume upon God's grace. This is very, very clear from Romans chapter 6. That we do not willingly sin because we think we are no longer under law but under grace. Don't misunderstand. We sin. We will sin. And we will have times of presumptuous sin like this. There will be moments like that. 
But our life, our, the characteristic of our walk with God cannot be this. That we say that we have a license to sin because Jesus has died for us. Jesus dying for us freed us from sin. We don't have a license to sin. We have a license to obey. And we've been given all the power to obey. Everything we need to obey and follow Christ. So when, when, we, when we are held down and weighed down by sin, we not only endanger ourselves, but when we are distracted and weighed down by sin, we endanger others. And when sin is cast aside, we will have greater endurance. We will run this race faster. We will run it with more endurance. Uh, we will get bogged down less. When, when we come against trial and temptation, we will, we will pass through it. When we sin, we will repent. Uh, a godly repentance that is lasting. When sin is cast aside, we will have greater endurance. Number three... Jesus is the reward. Jesus is the reward. It says in verse 2, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. One thing I am sure of as I read this passage and other passages in the Bible is that God does not hand out participation trophies. Uh, this popular thing these days, uh, and you know, I, I was talking about marathons. Marathons, it's not participation trophies because you have to finish the race to get a medal still. Um, God does not hand out participation trophies. So understand this, and I, I'll explain uh, this way. There are millions of people who, who started the race. They, they start the race of, of the Christian life, perhaps, or uh, they made some sort of commitment somewhere along the way, and they dropped out. All right, they, they can't finish the race. So, they quit the race, or they can't quit, the, and they feel like they can't quit the race, and they take a car to the finish line. So, think about this. Someone drops out of the race, but they feel like they can't, so they take a car to the finish line, and then they go and receive a, ma a medal, no matter where they quit the race. I mean, would this people, you know, they may not do that in a real race, but as we think about the Christian life, people do this. They think, oh, I started it. I started the race. I signed up. You know, I did the registration. You know, I'll like, you know, go from the starting gun, run a little bit, get in my car, go to the finish line. And you remember, a lady actually did that one time. I think it was the Boston Marathon one year. She, like, took a shortcut, got in a taxi, went to the finish line, and she pretended that she had won the Boston Marathon. People thought she did, and it came to light that she had cheated. But people, they will live their lives this way, and even their, you know, not a true Christian life, thinking, well, I started it, I walked the aisle that one time, and now I'm just going to coast to the end, uh, I'm really not going to race anymore. And they think they're going to receive a medal when they get to the end. Now, even crazier is people who never even participated in the race. They never even registered for the race. They never even had a moment where they even considered Jesus. And imagine that person walking up to the finish line in their street clothes and asking for a medal. Give me a medal. 
Yet this is what most people believe in their spiritual lives. In our culture, this is the way our culture operates. They never register for the race. They, can, they never can do that. They never commit to following the Lord. They can never actually run the race at all, be obedient to what God commands. And yet they will still presume that because they show up to the finish line or the day they die, that they will get a prize. Most people believe in heaven. Most all of our culture believes in heaven. Imagine how ridiculous this would appear if this happened in an actual race. Would any good judge or official or any of the people over this race, would they give them a medal if they just showed up at the finish line? I am here. <laughs> I made it. We know the answer to that. All right, let's, let's keep thinking along this line. Now, let's say there are several different groups of people who are going to run this race together. You know, a lot of times in, in these big races now, you'll have groups of people, and they'll dress all funny, they'll, they'll have a theme uh, as they run this race. And there's several different groups of people that have signed up, you know, they've signed up to, to do this race. They're very spiritual. They're very religious people. And they have on the best athletic gear, the best tank tops, uh, the best running shorts, the best tennis shoes, the best socks. And, and, and then they're like super serious people. They've got headbands on, you know, uh, sweatbands on the arms. I mean, they look serious. And they are serious. I mean, these people, they're fast. They're in shape. And they take their mark at the beginning, at the start of the marathon, the gun sounds, and they go off and they begin to run all different directions. The course is this way, and one group runs that way, and one group runs this way, another that way, another just runs directly the opposite way. Now, they eventually come around, they make their way to the finish line. They've all gone different directions, but they found some path that came back to the finish line. And maybe they even all ran the same distance. You know, they, just, they all lived this life. They all died, same distance. But they took their own path. Would a good judge or official of this race give them a medal? And we know the answer to that. The answer is no. So, you know, this illustrates other religions, people who think there's other paths to heaven. There's other ways we can have righteousness uh, and we can go whatever way we want, but as so long as we reach the end, so long as we reach the finish line, we will receive a prize. And we know this is not how God works. This is not participation trophy. We cannot start and give up and expect to have a medal. We cannot never run and expect to have a medal. We cannot begin to follow some other path, some other teaching, some other heresy, some other religion, and expect us to get a medal when we cross the finish line. No good judge, no good God, righteous God, just God, would allow that. And in our culture, many people believe, as long as you believe in something, you'll be good. And they believe there's many paths to the finish line. Only the really bad people. Only, that's what you always hear from people. Only the really bad people go to hell. Only, you know, like Hitler, you know, like, you know, he was bad. He's like, you know, if you talk to those people, like Hitler may be the only person in hell. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, it's crazy, the thinking, their, their idea of justice 
is, is off. Their idea of what is right, what is good, uh, is totally off. We must compete according to the rules. We must trust in God. We must persevere even when it is tough. We must set our eyes on Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So as we set our eyes on Jesus and stay the course to receive the prize, we must understand that Jesus is the prize. When we think about heaven, we may have all kinds of ideas about heaven in this room, and it's very likely we do. But as we read the Bible, we understand that heaven is about Jesus. Getting to heaven means we get Jesus. It's not simply that we're reunited with loved ones who have gone before us, who have trusted in Christ. Yes, we look forward to that day, and that is something that should encourage us to press on. That's part of the great cloud of witnesses, those who, who have gone before us. We, that does, it helps motivate us, but ultimately the prize is Jesus. We get fellowship with Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the reward at the finish line of life lived in Jesus is Jesus. So heaven is not what we construct it. Heaven is where God dwells. To be in heaven, it's not simply bliss and joy. Those are a byproduct. Those are a byproduct of being in the presence of the Lord in a glorified state. And the author of Hebrews tells us to look to Jesus as we run the race. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is how we press on. It is Jesus who started our faith. Philippians 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We know other uh, passages from the gospel where Jesus talks about, listen, no one will take a sheep from my hand. Do you trust the Lord to help you see you through the race? Are you leaning on Christ as you run this race? Are you looking to him? Now think about Peter, okay? Peter in the boat as he steps out. He's looking to Jesus. He takes his eye off, eyes off Jesus and what happens? He begins to sink. So we must look to Jesus. I love that phrase. I love that phrase to look to Jesus. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, a, a famous preacher uh, in, in London in the 1800s, that, was, that phrase was how he became saved. It was, a, it was either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, and it is a blizzard. He walks into church. He's not a believer. He walks into church. Pastor's not there. One of the deacons is there, totally unprepared to preach, didn't have a message prepared, and he gets up there and he just basically, the entire sermon just kept repeating, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. And Charles Spurgeon got saved that day as he looked to Christ for salvation. So we look to Jesus. He is the goal. He is the prize. And we look to Jesus because he is worthy. He ran the race and paved the way for us. 
He suffered and endured the cross. And why? For the joy that was set before him. We know that these sufferings, all right, they are nothing to be compared to what's ahead. Paul tells us that, that any trials we have, any, anything we're going through in this life, we can endure them, we can press on, because what's ahead is far, far greater. This next week is going to be a nervous week at our household. <laughs> we expect to have a baby at this time next week, as I mentioned, and... I don't have to deliver the baby. My wife does. But as history tells us and what we know, what helps a mother push through the pain and all that time and labor? It's what? It's the joy of knowing you're going to have a baby on the other end, right? That's how we endure, knowing that there is something better at the end. That is how Jesus did it. He knew that there was great joy ahead of him if he endured. And that is how we do it. And many of us uh, in, in this church, not just present with us this morning, but in this church as a whole, we are going through trials and suffering, and there is great pain, there is great worry, uh, and, and you are just hoping to make it to the end. But keep pressing on. Keep looking to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, help one another out. Encourage one another in their struggles, in their time of need. And as Jesus endured for the joy that was set before him, now he has his reward. He is seated at the right hand of God. He has been given dominion over all the earth. And all the nations will come to him and proclaim his name. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. This is what Jesus endured for. And as Jesus is, is there, he is watching us. He is cheering us on. He is giving us strength. And he's waiting at the finish line, ready to embrace us and reward us with himself with his presence. So this is what we have to press on to, what we have to look forward to, that we look to Jesus. So I'll say again that we do not run this race alone. We are not alone in this. We need the church. We need each other. And sure enough, we will not celebrate the victory of finishing alone. When we finish, people are going to celebrate. Is there... No, no one likes a funeral, right? But there is a big difference between when you go to a funeral of someone who is a believer versus someone who is not a believer. Uh, the funeral of, a, of an unbeliever is a very sad thing. People just hoping, like, uh, hope unfounded on anything. That, yeah, maybe this person's in heaven, but they have nothing to base that on. Or maybe they just, you know, well, they just cease to exist. You go to a funeral of a believer, of a saint, it's something entirely different. We're sad because we've lost them on this present earth, but we rejoice because their, their trial, their race is over. They finished the race. And God is saying, well done, good and faithful servant. It's an entirely different thing. I, I know we've all been to those services, 
And those, those are the funerals that we want, right? When we get to the end of our lives, no matter when that may be, that people are, are celebrating the fact that you finished the race. You did it. And this is a time that we will all come to. So we will not celebrate alone when we finish the race. So we must look to the Lord and gain strength from one another as we run this race side by side. We need community. Guys, we need each other. I, I know something that's just beneficial for me and is so refreshing every week is there's a group of men. Uh, we meet Thursday afternoon uh, for lunch. And it is so refreshing to the soul uh, every week. And, and it's not usually deep discussion all the time. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's, it, it's more casual. But it is of great benefit, I think, to each one of our souls that we have brothers in Christ who are in this race together. So church, we must lean on one another. And lastly, we must never give up because the reward of Jesus it is greater than anything else this world can offer. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word uh, from Hebrews that no matter the trials, no matter what is going on, no matter the victories or the disappointments, uh, we have a race to run. So help us to focus on it, not to lose sight of you, and, and that we would cast aside the sin that slows us down, the sin that harms us, the sin in our lives that harm other people, God. Uh, convict our hearts this morning, and may we be ready uh, to follow you and to be obedient to you. Will your spirit pierce our hearts and help us to endure uh, in, in all situations. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. At this time we'll have the invitation. Excuse me. And uh, if you need to respond uh, this morning, you need to look to Jesus. Uh, we would love to have you respond. Please respond. Do not delay uh, at God's calling. Uh, come down uh, this morning and and come to the altar, pray, lay something before God, uh, come and, and tell of your decision to follow Christ. Uh, if not, if you, if you respond, you can respond where you're at. You can respond where you're at uh, before God. Uh, but now is the time to come and respond to God.
Thank you. You may be seated. I have a, I certainly have one announcement. I don't know if there's some other, other announcements uh, that may need to be brought up. But tonight, uh, the youth, we were originally uh, planning a, uh, a swimming party, but the weather is not so great. It's like likely going to be storming, and it's also going to be like 70 degrees. Who would have guessed uh, in July at this time? Uh, would have this kind of weather, so unpredictable. That's been postponed to August 5th, uh, so I wanted to, to mention that. Uh, I want to kick off uh, night, uh, August 26th, uh, so please see uh, Sherry Lyons for detail, details on that. Are there any other announcements that need to be made at this time? All right, all right uh, thank you all so much for being here. Uh, Gene? You would... All right, let's stand together and reach around. Right? Across the aisle, let's go get the hand of somebody there and let's go 